Yeah, fix it in post. Um, so, uh, let me repeat that question because I feel like that, that that's yeah, gonna yeah. be a good one for the uh, yeah. So, how'd you end up like getting such a large network of naturalists? Like, how, how'd you make those connections? <clears throat> I so I guess it was YouTube first, but I, I didn't meet that many people on YouTube. But uh, from YouTube, I went to Facebook and I, I be, befriended a couple people from YouTube on Facebook. And that's how I found other herpers was on YouTube and mainly Facebook. Right. Uh, well, initially YouTube, but then Facebook. And then like, once I got into the herping community on there, I just, I had, I added as many people as I could. And, right. Um, and then I got Instagram, maybe, I don't know how long I've had my Instagram, maybe since like 2013. And then on there, I um, found more, Herpers and naturalists, and so basically, I've been using social media to connect with other wildlife people for a while. Like, yeah, like almost ten years, and I, I've quickly realized that the more people you're friends with, the more opportunities you have. <laughs> like it's yeah. that simple. Um, like I just add random people. They have anything on their account about wildlife just add them and you know maybe I'll, I'll never chat with them or never you know meet them but like yeah you have enough if you have enough friends you're going to eventually end up meeting some of them in person and you know building a, a real network right and that's it's been valuable for my career in general um not just the hobby side of what i do but also the professional side um you know, most of the jobs I've had, um, I got hired because I knew people from my social media network. In fact, I can't think of a single job, a single wildlife job that I've had where I, I sent like a resume, an application. I, I literally just got, you know, get yeah. on by word of mouth. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Just poured one out too. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. One second, I gotta, I'm like really psyched about this post. I got to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah, no, that's did you, did, you, uh, did you read the post just now? The one I just posted? The one that you just posted? Yeah. It's no. really long. You don't have to read it right now. Uh, the like, box turtle, right? Gonna, yeah, I thought I was going to run out of room. Luckily at all. Did, but. It's all about the the town I grew up in. I was talking all about the ecology and the geology and how it influences the flora and fauna. I mean, I, we have talked about that before. I don't know, <laughs> like on your stories before or when we called it. Oh have, yeah, yeah, I've, I've posted about it before. Um, but man, I, I kind of figure out how to. Hosting is different for me. I, I, I don't, I got to learn how to host. So like when, when we start out, I got to like introduce my guest. So like you're my guest right now. Right. I'm introducing right. you as my guest, but you're going to end up being um, a part-time co-host. Yeah. Depending on the, depending on the person I'm talking to, um, I'll have different people on just for one to, for inclusivity. Yeah. That's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't include as many people as possible. And um, 
and and like i don't know um you know we all have our specialty we all have our specialty i think i think you'll be pretty valuable for anything obviously fish related (laughs) plants and plant related and herbs i imagine you can talk ask good questions about herbs Um, i can ask the questions i don't think i can answer any but i can ask i think you're i mean you're kind of like me you're you're a general naturalist i i'm pretty sure i'll have you on for literally anybody but I want to give, uh, you know, some of my other friends an opportunity to come on. For sure. For um, sure. Yeah. Like, and use, um, like if I have a friend that wants to, like, they have an interest in having somebody on, you know, right. Give them that that opportunity and they can ask most of the questions and I'll just, you know, try to give some input where I can. Yeah. But it's not, that's what it's I, I, like I, community I, podcast. It's not yeah, like it's, I don't I have a I had a problem with these people telling me like like patting me on the back when I was posting about it because yeah I'm like this is not for me, it's for other people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but props for you for like taking taking your time like editing and well dude, I don't plan on editing anything. Whatever, whatever we say is going straight on. That's why you gotta be very careful about what you say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like Can we I cuss like, on the uh, podcast? Is, is that is that a thing? Like wait, what? Can we cuss on the podcast? Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Screw I, I want it to be a safe space for everybody and 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 for everything. <laughs> no, no judgment zone. Yeah, uh, and 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 like, if I have somebody on that is um, uncomfortable with how it went, mm-hmm. I won't publish. I, I'll. It's still a win-win because I like talking to people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might. I might say. If you say something um, that you don't want published, I mean, I do need to learn how to edit that kind of stuff out. Yeah. Although I prefer that not to happen. Rather be totally raw, like like the Joe Rogan yeah. podcast, like whatever you whatever they video, that's it's going yeah. straight on there. Yeah. It's the raw, you know, content. I do appreciate that, but I, I mean, I guess there could be times where people would want to, you know, and I, we'll see. Just a learning process. Yeah. I have zero expectations. I this is just an yeah. after I talked to you, I posted on my store. I was like, wow, I want to talk to more of y'all. This is but nobody, really, nobody, it's kind of awkward just to like for some people, it's awkward to just you know just call them out of nowhere. But this yeah. gives me a gives me a platform to talk to people and to have other people come on and talk to people. It just gives you an excuse. That's what it really yeah. is. Like, and hey. if the conversations are good and people like them, that's that's awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> like if people listen it's fine but really we just want to talk just one like, thing i do like when i listen to podcasts i, I really like off like authenticity yeah like even everything we've said so far and you know, since i started recording i don't know if it's quality content but it's authentic <laughs> yeah for sure um I, you know i might publish everything so far that we've talked about. I, I don't know i'll go back and listen to it and see how dumb i sound um but yeah, man. It, uh, it'll be a cool, it'll be a cool learning experience. It'll be a good, um, just a good intellectual activity, I think, you know, and, um, it, you know, make friends and, um, yeah, I think it's, it'll be a win-win all around. Did you listen to my... I want it to be like that, you know, pretty conversational, Yeah. you know, it start it, it like starts out 
as an interview, they were kind of, you know, asking me questions and it's kind of, that's kind of the, you kind of stick to that, but like, you know, once you get in a little bit, you kind of just, yeah, you just talk. talk about whatever, you know, conversation leads to like the weirdest places sometimes. And you just yeah, gotta yeah. And it's, it's interesting. And, and people like to listen to that. Um, I love listening to other people have a conversation. That's why I like podcasts so much. Yeah. It's like, you're, it's like you're there that with them, you can't contribute anything, but you're just taking everything they say in and like, and then analyzing like, well, it. Opinions. like sometimes I'll be like, Oh, that's so cool. Or like, yeah. you're know, just talking to myself while listening to a podcast. I think, I think that's a really great, great aspect of it. We should, uh, we're going to introduce you right now. So, oh, okay. So get, just give us okay. your, your uh, everything about you right now. <laughs> hey guys, I'm uh, on. Anjane is my full name, but people call me on and my pronouns are he, him. And my Instagram, Twitter, TikTok is all on an adventure. It's just A-A-N underscore and underscore adventure. I'm sure you could spell that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the fish dude. <laughs> The fish dude, yeah. Fish dude, yeah. I might, I might. That might be the title of this of this episode. The fish dude. The fish. <laughs> I was thinking. I actually already thought of this. I said I was thinking the fish guy. That's yeah. what I was in the title. That the works. Guy. Yeah, the, <laughs> you're the, guy. the official fish guy. Although you're 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 much uh, more well rounded than that. But I fish try are to your that. fish are your. We all gotta have one thing that we yeah. specialize in. But it's gonna be a it's it's good to be a a, a well rounded naturalist too. I'd say I'm a well, well-rounded naturalist, maybe not as well-rounded as a scientist, you know, like, yeah, well, I'm not, you can uh, tell the people that you're still in college right now. You're uh, what a freshman. I'm a sophomore, sophomore. and I'm Corpus Christi. Yeah. Nope. So I'm still not even in like the, the higher level classes, my electives or anything. So I'm just kind of doing yeah. the general biology yeah. stuff right now. You, you already know more natural history than most people. <laughs> yeah it's crazy like I'll, I'll try to have conversations with people in my lab and, and they're like i don't know that we just know what what we we know yeah. so that we can sort the samples and collect the data and I'm like, yeah yeah it's just it's a different experience you know some people find their interest in natural history in college and some people go to college for the reason that they're interested in natural history that's how i was yeah i don't think i would have gone to college if i wasn't interested in natural history I still don't think I want to go to college sometimes. <laughs> I'll wait because here's the thing. I live on an island, right? Like our campus is literally on an island. And I'm privileged enough to have a dorm where my, my window is facing the campus beach. And so I'll wake up. And if the weather's good, it's, it's just really hard for me to not step out in that direction and go to class instead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally so understandable. Um, for me, it's been worth it. But... You know, society is changing a lot. You know, a college degree isn't necessarily um, necessary to yeah. be successful. Um, but I, I enjoyed my classes all the way through. Well, not the yeah. first two years, but, you know. That's, that's what I'm at right now. <laughs> and getting to hang around professors. I mean, these are, at A&M, these are some of the, or any, you know, any big university. Yeah some of the you know top wildlife professionals in the world and it was really cool getting to hang around them especially my, my imposter syndrome was at a maximum around those people <laughs> um i did feel comfortable in my in my herpetology class uh, with dr lee fitzgerald um he's also just a 
laid back hippie. Yeah. He's like a hippie in the sixties and he's still kind of a hippie. <laughs> I feel you, man. Um, times, I, good. My biology two professor used to be the, the botany professor here first, but then they found more staff members that were doing more coastal botany. <laughs> yeah. And he was just the algae guy. Right. And so he stepped back. He was kind of done with his career. He still teaches just for fun. But like hanging back after class with him was just the best thing ever. Like we have talked more salad recipes from things that grow in the marsh than anybody else I've ever known. Like <laughs> he was That's like, cool. you got to find Spartina and marsh work. And then you got to mix it with this brown green algae that you see. And Wait, you, like, can, you can eat Spartina? Yeah. He, he was like... <laughs> crazy about it and there's like christmas berries that grow on the island here and he was like you gotta find the chili piquins that are here and just like chop it all up put it together um do you know that marsh where it had like 33 percent protein and 30 percent fat no it's it's literally just a superfood marsh word it's uh it's like a little succulent yeah it's like, like a little yeah. succulent what's the genus what's the genus it's a uh, salicornia cornea. Cornea. yeah salicornia yeah. yeah i know that so we've got Salicornia big lovi and then uh, Salicornia virginianus, virginica yeah. or something like that. It's, it, it, it grows along the sand. Like yeah. uh, the growth form it doesn't really go up, most of them. They're like spreading so along the ground. The ground yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a true salt marsh plant. And it's so good. It's so, it's so delicious. I love it. Really? But like, he put yeah, me is on it salt, Is it like, salty? It, it tastes like pickles if they were asparagus does that make sense to you like if you pickle yeah, asparagus and then yeah that that's basically what it tastes like i have to might have to try that out i'm, I'm not big into forging so i'm stomach problems so i don't know there's not I'm, i have a food guide for my ibs but highly doubt salicornia would be on there <laughs> it's okay i also have ibs so yeah. i mean I'm, i've lived so far i i survive i just don't i'm not living life to the fullest when i'm <laughs> in a constant flare stomach flare yeah um tell us uh more about um uh, your your just life like how you came to being a naturalist or um you know t places you've been to in the world and where you where you're from and that sort of thing right so um i was born in india in mumbai and um you know it's it's one of the big cities in india it's it's like the la of india you know you got, yep. you got bollywood there and all the big stuff's happening and it's it's very taken out and taken apart from nature like there's there's not a lot of interaction that you have with the outdoors over there um the city tries to keep green you know there's plants everywhere, but there really isn't any wildlife, no like interaction yeah. with the outdoors. And I remember that like my real first interaction with any animal, like wildlife in general was uh, my grandma and I used to go for walks after dinner just to like help my stomach settle. Cause I've had stomach problems since I was way littler. Right. And um, right, right after the monsoon season, we'd, we'd get frogs that come up out of the drainage ditches and she she just told me all this all these like crazy stories like fairy tales about like frogs and the birds and all that kind of stuff and uh, she'd start pointing out like frogs or 
um, like squirrels and things. And my grandma was like the resident animal lady. So if they had like a tree fall down, the baby squirrels that were in it, they'd be given to her. Where like if they found an injured crow, that would come to her. So even even when I was little, um, I was I was raised with animals just in my house being rehabilitated all the time. So it was your your grandma as yeah. who got you into into wildlife. Yeah, it's all it's all because of my grandma and my grandfather. That's that's, that's unique. That's unique. Yeah. yeah. Was did Steve Irwin play a role for you? Oh yeah, big big time. Okay, just making sure. It's yeah. rare to meet someone in our in our age group that um, was not influenced by Steve right. Irwin in some way. So my grandma was like the major influence because she was that animal lady, right? And then my grandfather grew up in a family of hunters um, before most hunting was made illegal in India. Okay, I see. I didn't know that. So there's yeah. no hunting in India. There's no like the the, the hunting culture that exists in the states is completely like a one eighty turn from what exists in India because you have to be like super super rich in India, a private ranch with stocked animals to hunt them. But there's, in there's no like in India, yes. Oh, interesting. So there's Weird. no like public land hunting culture there. Weird. Because we're so they, they hunt like axis deer and yeah, axis, nilgai, hogs. They're all Nil- native. Nilgai are, are native there. Yeah, man, those are like a big deal in the exotic game hunting. Right, like in Galveston, in in like the barrier islands here. You'll hear a lot of guys that are like super crazy about Nilgai. Oh, Nilgai in South Texas are a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm like, yo, those are protected like, and endangered at home. Like, it's probably there might be more. There are some yeah. antelope species and, and other, other ungulates that their populations are more stable in Texas ranches than they are in the wild. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know if that's the case with Nilgai, but it is. Nilgai so, are. Nilgai are, were, they're, they're endangered. And back home, they're federally protected. Like if you're a farmer and um, here's the deal back home in India, we don't have like these large scale agriculture. Like, I don't even want to say they're like. It's all small scale stuff. People all small scale stuff. It's like raising animals to feed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like families with two acres at at most that are just like feeding themselves and then earning just enough profit to feed themselves for the rest of the year, you know? just so that they have something other than the, the monoculture that they've grown. So like they'll, they'll grow rice, sell it off and then keep enough for them to last the entire year until the next season comes. And then whatever profits they make, they use for like, you know, obviously farm equipment and then feeding themselves other things. Cause they don't have the, the capital to like yeah. have a diverse farm either. Gotcha. So land, land use is just all around much different in India. Yeah. There's not, there are big, like, re- like wildlife refuges there, right? Yes, there are. There's a few. There's yeah. one or two in my home state that I've visited. So I'm from Maharashtra, India, and um, yeah, I, Maharashtra. God, Maharashtra. Yeah, yeah. It's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> some some, close. some Indian words are tough for me. It'll 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 come. Try. We'll try. When when I get you birding there, you'll yeah get yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, land use is so different and um it's so, it, it, it screwing with the ecology there yeah how much do you know about the ecology there uh quite a lot and so, this is not give, to be, like boastful give, but um, give, give us yeah. give us the rundown of of 
of the, you're the the native ecology from where you're from in India, like the, some of the pl plant dominant trees or the you know anything about the plants or animals that you know. Yeah. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. So, you, yeah. Yeah. Start wherever but, you want. <laughs> I mean, the only reason I know what I do is because uh, junior year of high school, I'd finished junior year. And just before my senior year started that summer, I spent the entire summer getting my uh, agriculture consulting certificate. Yep. So I went up on a farm there and this is, this is a nonprofit that does a lot of consulting for smaller farms to teach them like regenerative agriculture with the zero yes. till method and, uh, yep. you know, better soil, soil care. And yep. uh, I was there doing work with their aquatic plants because they needed someone to help them propagate lotus more efficiently. And lotus? So I went, lotus, yes. Like the same, like we got American lotus. It's in the Nantaceae. Yeah, well, yeah. we same. have native lotuses in India as well. They're actually that's awesome. the, they have the, the, big, the big white flowers. Yes. Oh, that's big cool. white, I, I big love lotus. I love lotus. Best wetland plant, I think. Yeah. It's, it's crazy good. That's and cool. they're our national flowers. So, you know, it's big. It's a big deal. And people eat lotus. Yeah, we'll eat the lotus. Like the, what, like what part of the lotus? Like the tubers or? The rhizome. Or the so, rhizome, yeah. 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 So the lotus rhizome is kind of like, um, it's kind of like okra. When you, when you yeah. peel it and cut it into like slices, the cross section is just like cut up okra and fry it just the same as cut okra. So it's, it's native in it, but it's also, it's cult, like cultivated for food. It's cultivated for food, but mostly what we were using the lotus for is just uh, restoration. Oh, okay, we to, to, to the soil. And, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's like uh, here in the states, they'll they'll let a, a cornfield go fallow for a few yeah. years and let the the native legumes and grasses come back and get those yeah. nutrients back. That's interesting. Yeah. But here's the deal: when when I was uh, when I was working on that farm, it was it was rice season because I went during the monsoon. So June, July, and August is peak rainfall in India because we get like all the all the water from the Atlantic Ocean's coming in on the West Coast because the season changing and the Western Cots region region is just uh, like a big mountain range. Okay, the, I say what's Western Ghats? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard of it, but just yeah, to sure. it's it's a biodiversity hotspot, so I'm pretty sure. Okay, okay, yeah. But it's this mountain range on on our western coast, and so that blocks all the all the rain coming yep. in from the, the, from the Indian, not the yep. Atlantic. What am I talking about? It's all good. <laughs> the Indian Ocean, right? Yeah. And um, once that rain makes landfall, the entire region goes green again, just for those three months. And um, interesting. That's when we do all our rice farming, and so you see a lot of like puddling and um, yeah just like the traditional rice farming that you've seen mostly. Yeah. And we're trying to, we're trying to move away from that because like the amount of methane that it produces from keeping the soil anoxic. Yep. Yep. And um, so we were trying to get people to do the raised bed farming for rice. And part of the, part of the thing that we were trying to encourage is letting the weeds grow with the rice. So just we've got nat like natural ecological processes. Yeah. yeah. Usually they plant rice like six to seven inches apart in the traditional <laughs> rice farming. But we were like, give it a whole foot. Yeah. And 
let, let the weeds take over in between them. And what we noticed is that when we were placing the rice plants further apart, they had longer roots. They had better structure for their roots. So and um, the weeds were actually helping sequester more soil, more uh, nitrogen into the soil. Yeah, yeah. Because- And that improved the plants yeah, and the rice. And crazy, yeah. We had a 280% yield increase. Wow, is it, I mean, I don't know anything about farming, but I guess it would it be harder to harvest the rice though? Is it more of a effort? Well, since we are working with small scale farmers, all of their harvesting is done by hand anyway. Oh, dang. So it doesn't matter either so way. It doesn't matter. It's not mechanized. It's not automated like, you know, the United States agriculture system yeah. is. Yeah. So it, it goes easier on the person because they're planting less. They're not yeah. transplanting. And um, you don't have to weed. You don't have to put too many products into it. And you're not managing the water level at all times because you've got the rate that yeah so i was thinking like if you were to do that in like a cornfield with this big machinery they use these big tractors and you have native plants in there with it i just don't know how they would like separate the grass from the corn and well because when like corn is harvested and i'm not i'm not too familiar with i'm not either cattle. i'm just <laughs> but when corn is harvested you're driving the combine right over it and yeah. you're cutting the stalks of the base. And then the stock is then like, you, you pick the ears of corn off of the stock, but it's all mm -hmm. mechanized, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure if you planted the corn just a little bit further apart and let some light into you the could. ground, them, you could get weeds to colonize the soil. Interesting. Because we did it with rice, cotton, beans. We've done that with sunflower. Yeah. So all the types of crops that we could do, we tried in that same method. And, um, and it, it worked out. It worked out perfectly. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, get, get, let's get back to the, the Western Gots. Yeah, Western Gots. So when I was based there. Western Gots. It's, it's a G, right? G-H-A. G-H-A. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's so, gotta be there's gotta be some cool cool snakes and stuff there. Dude, you hit it right on the head. I was just gonna <laughs> say it is the most diverse place for reptiles in the world. Yeah. Is it really? Got, it's yeah. like the it's the spot to be if you're a herper. Wow. I'm I'm not sure, but there's like some crazy, crazy numbers like within the four or five hundreds, where it's just we have literally five four or five hundred species of frog just frogs oh my gosh <laughs> it, yeah it's crazy and most of them are undescribed so if you want like a quick easy couple thousand papers you just go right ahead get out there and get after it huh yeah um when we were consulting for farms we'd see a lot of the frogs in the in the rice fields yeah and we we identified only about 30 35 percent of the frogs that we saw because we weren't able to find resources to identify most. Really, of even in a, yeah. even in those areas where people are, and like when well, you think of undescribed areas with um, where there are a lot of undescribed species, are usually parts of the world where there's not a lot of people, really remote regions. This doesn't sound that like that's yeah. the case. No, because India is almost overpopulated to like. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, our culture is just not very focused on like research like environmental research and so it's not encouraged for people to like 
pursue wildlife jobs. And so that's, that's what's kind of holding back our knowledge yeah. of the ecosystems there. And so a lot of the, a lot of the knowledge comes from the rural folk yeah. that are, that are farming or, you know. Are you familiar with uh, Madras Crocodile Bank? Yes. So there's some good, good herpetologists there. Um, like, like Ron Whitaker is associated with, with, uh, Madras. He's, I guess he's a, he's an American, but he's lived in India for a long time and he's done a lot of work on like King Cobras and other Madras herp- herp- is, a, is a bit further South. Okay. Yeah. Southern India is incredibly diverse too. Yeah. Cause the and Western, they start in Maharashtra, which, which is my state. And they go all the way into Southern India. And then we've got the Eastern Ghats on the other side which are also just as, just as diverse mm-hmm. and they come down to the tip. And since India is a peninsula in the South, we got both the regions getting together. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. So Southern India is like this, this like Holy grail of wow. ecological diversity. Cause you've got Great. all the environments there. I and, love that stuff yeah. like that. That's really neat. Is the Ganges in the South? No, the Ganges are all the way up North. Up north, so that's where the the gharial are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess did you ever see a gharial? I've never. No, oh. once in an aquarium, but you know they're so rare. Gotta, I gotta see a gharial someday. They're uh, yeah, they're so rare, and the areas where they're found, I guess, are are very protected. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure really. Apparently, yeah, they're like mining the sand from the very beaches that those gharial nest on, and that's a big problem. I think that's my understanding. I'm not very well, one of the problems. Yeah. Well, versus with. With. yeah, in crocodilians, yeah, crocodilians <laughs> yeah. at all, but yeah. yeah, it's all good, man. I know you at least know that y'all got gharial and and mugger crocodiles. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, muggers are they're like a they're almost like yeah. an American alligator. They have a real big head. Oh yeah, and did you know that mugger is actually just the word crocodile in Hindi? Is it really? So, yeah, so it's like it's redundant to call it a mugger crocodile because it's just the word for crocodile in Hindi. That's funny. It's like saying chai tea, you know, when chai is just tea in Hindi or like yeah. non bread because non is just the word for bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Man, I really, uh, really want to go to India someday and, and go herping and Dude, check out the, 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 I would the love. That area where the Western and the Eastern Ghats meet. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy down there. It's, it's so it's cool. A, honestly, I'm like, India's never been on my radar for places to visit, except to go see Gario. But I just, I always say, when I think of places I want to go to, to, to really see a lot of species and interesting biodiversity, I think of like Australia, I think of South America, like the Amazon. Right. And... Like I really, I really want to go to Western Africa or Central Africa, but Central Africa, like the Congo is kind of a logistical problem and not very yeah. safe. It's, it's hard to reach. I wouldn't. I, India is on my list now though. It should be. Yes. It should be. Yeah. And, should be. Uh, Southeast Asia too. I see Southeast Asia. Well, that's, that's where I grew up. So, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, my dad had a very like mobile job. So we've never lived in the same country for more than three, four years. At a oh, time. Wait, wait. So what, what other places have you lived? Right. So I was born in India. I was four when we moved to Dubai. We were in the Middle East for another Oh, you lived in Dubai? 
And then I hated, I hated Dubai. Like the entire experience it's, of living there was so. It's not a place for a naturalist, but it's yeah, it an was interesting place though. So I, I did get to explore certain parts of the Arabian Peninsula, but I was only like seven or eight years old and I had no clue what I was doing. Right. Really, there's something there to appreciate for a naturalist yeah. in Dubai, but I don't know what it is. Some some desert specialist or there's we've we've got herbs maybe we've got some interesting herbs, but really their coastal fishery is oh. the entire Arabian Peninsula has got similar fish as Australia. So just just imagine this: you've got giant trevallies and big leerfish. They're, they're called queenfish, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they're in the family Karangidae or Karangidae, right? And these are these like big mean fish that will eat whatever the hell fits in their mouth. And, and Blue Planet came up with, Blue Planet 2 actually has footage of them reaching out of the water and eating seagulls out of the air. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they are crazy fish. I may have seen that footage actually. Yeah. So I can't think, what do you call these, what do you call these fish? um giant trevally trevally's okay I, yeah. yeah i've heard of, i've heard of trevally's have, have you heard heard of jack they're Creval? sought after they're a very sought after game fish like yeah. big game fish right have you heard of jack creval or creval? yeah yeah I've caught, I've those caught are trevally's that are native to to our coast right here in texas okay yeah yeah i've caught jacks i they always but i've never landed one they always yeah they always like pull you right yeah pull you or break your line yeah they're highly That's sought cool. after games. But the, like, the, the, the Trevally you're talking about, they get much bigger than our native yeah. jacks here. So like 46, 47 yeah. kilos is yeah. is considered like a trophy jack over there. Okay, yeah. Which roughly translates to, I'd say like what, 46 kilos is what, 90, 90, yeah, 90 to 95 pounds. Oh, thank, thanks for the for the yeah <laughs> the, the conversion there. We're mostly going to have, uh, you know, People yeah. thinking in U.S. metrics. Here's the thing. They don't measure their fish in pounds. So whenever you hear of a big trevally, you're like, oh, I caught this like 46, 47 kilo trevally. I'm always trying to do the conversions for myself. Yeah, so yeah. 90, 95 pounds. Yeah. yeah. Those are huge fish. Big and fish, so, man. That's a big fish. And they're agile. They're very agile, right? Yeah. yeah. Super that's agile, cool. super strong, too. That's cool. So that's, I guess that part of the world is, a, is that a hot spot for the, the, the big sport fishermen? Yeah. So the Arabian Peninsula, like in Oman, they have a big fishing industry, um, like land-based but, fishing. But for, fish. for fishermen, not like fishery. Um, yeah. For fishermen, not for fishermen. fishermen. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, they did have a lot of uh, pearl oysters <clears throat> that were, that were the commercial fishery mm-hmm. in Dubai. So one of the ports that we lived close to, it, was, it wasn't a commercial pearl port anymore, but the reason that it was such a big port and uh, the reason why they had such a good economy in that place was because they used to, they used to be pearl divers there. Wow, that's interesting. So they have these like huge ships and people would go just free dive and shuck oysters to get pearls out of them. And that was a big contributing factor to the, to like the economy before yeah, yeah, yeah. I was big. Yeah. But it wasn't like my favorite place as a naturalist yeah. because it all felt too much. So you, went, so you, you lived in Dubai, and, but you lived in Southeast Asia at some point? So after Dubai, we moved to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. Malaysia, wow. Yeah. And, and what does your dad do for work? I got a yeah, important detail. 
he's an accountant. Um, he works in oil and gas. He works. Okay. In- yeah. I'm here. I meant living in Dubai. That makes sense. Yeah. And then so you, you go to Malaysia. These are all like big oil hotspots, you know? Like yeah. Yeah. Dubai. Malaysia. I know Malaysia was, but. And then Texas, obviously. Obviously um, Texas. Love Texas. So you, how long were you in Malaysia? Another three and a half years. And then. How old were you? Uh, Still pretty at young. that time I was 10, 10. 11 years old. Yeah. yeah. Then I moved to South Africa. What? South Africa? I was in South Africa for middle school. And I'm so jealous that you've gotten to live. For one, like I've never even been to any of these places, much less live in. I've never lived outside of Texas, in fact. But here's the thing. When I was living in these places, I was too young to really like appreciate them or do anything for myself, you know? Surely it's still uh, uh, contributed to the person you are now, though. Yeah. For sure, really yeah. did. It's just and for anybody like traveling is it's just going to give you a different perspective yeah, on yeah. life and and the, just the world in general. You know? Definitely opened me up to a lot more ideas. Yeah, like a lot more just new ways of thinking or like yeah, yeah. perspective on everything. Just you know, experiencing different cultures and stuff. And it shows you how small like you really are in the world, and it, it yeah. it's kind of frightening. But when you embrace it, you're like wow yeah. this is crazy you know but then you you finally end up in the great state of texas well after south africa we moved oh, to angola. One more. yeah Where? angola angola so two countries above yeah so you got angola south africa is, the southern is further north yeah yeah it's a i'm trying to th- imagine angola or is it's it above namibia if you want to open up a map like yeah, real I, guess quick. I can do that yeah <laughs> only have five percent of my phone though don't worry about my charge. Yeah, it was crazy because Angola. What, that's so that's a desert. Or no, that's Central Africa. It's oh. it's it's considered Southern Africa. It's still Southern. Okay, I see now. I see yeah. now. It's so it's it's um oh it's right south of where I really want to explore. I really want to go to like like um, Cameroon or like the the Congo. Really, oh, any of those beautiful. like. Gabon. Those areas. That just, I think that for me is just this area is where like there are still chimps and bonobos and and there's, you know, all these great apes. And then there's, there are these tribes living deep in the Congo, like pygmy peoples. Yeah. Humans still living life. Like people. under the ecological and evolutionary pressures that created us in the first place, and they're still living this way, and it's so freaking fascinating. It is, yeah. Um, like it, the fact that like, well, I always get sad thinking about the state of the world, like the biodiversity crisis. Yeah. Um, but like, it's cool that we still live in a time where tr- truly wild places are still here. Yeah, like there's still there are still uncontacted tribes. I think I, I'm like I like I know, but I'm fairly be. certain there are uncontacted tribes that are still living out in the Amazon and the Congo basins. There has like, to be. There's, no, there's no way that like we've we've destroyed that much. And like human society has you know evolved, and like here we are now talking over a computer, and right yeah. now there there are people that that are still living like they've lived for like. 60,000 years or whatever 
and like our ancestors look just like they did yeah so uh, i posted on my on instagram you saw the new guinea tribe i did that was very wholesome (laughs) i love it i love wildlife i love reptiles and fish and plants and but dude like human ecology and evolution is it's so like it blows my freaking mind because like that's very special because that's our own species like right like homo sapiens as they existed in nature it like it, before i die i, I really want to see a tribe in the wild that that'll be anything any wildlife experience would be a, uh, but there's an ethical concern to visiting a tribe right um, even like one that has had contact or whatever because you know disease and right um just, but that that would just be for me the the pinnacle of experiences in my life is to s- at least see a tribe maybe not even get close but see right. humans still living like uh like stone age lifestyles yeah that's just so freaking cool to me <laughs> that's one thing that that i did get to see and i'm super fortunate for it but um yeah, uh, i expect you to say this people. yeah of course i'm people in south africa um, in Southern what? Africa. Who, who are they? The Khoisan. So Khoisan? Uh, yes. Okay. But the X is pronounced with a click. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just like, just going and being able to, you know, get like a tour sort of, because it wasn't really visiting the people as is. Because, you know, obviously they, they, they have, have yeah, they, they communicate with, um, people in yeah like they invite people in to see their culture and stuff yeah yeah and, and it's it's I don't know well do you know about the um man there's this there's this thing in Florida where the natives have like the native peoples of Florida have a place where you can you can go and see their their relationship with the the crocodilians in Florida. Hell yeah, Seminole Indian alligator. Uh, yes, wrestling. that place. Yeah, I've well, been there's, there. There's, there's a, a couple a couple of them around. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Seminole Indians are the ones that really. Um, I think they were the first. I think they were some of the first people that came up with the alligator wrestling idea. Or, or yeah, I'm trying to get. I'm gonna try to get this right because I do know this. So the, some of the techniques they used to alligator wrestle, mm-hmm. the Seminole Indians used that to catch alligators when they were alone in the swamp. But then I think uh, uh, a white man um, saw what they were doing and he, he, he turned it into a roadside attraction. And then the Seminole Indians, you know, saw how successful he was with the tourists. Yeah. And then they took it up as a tourist, a way to make money from the tourists. I think, that, I think that's how it goes. Well, it's, it's kind of a similar concept because I know I've like when I visited Florida, I was able to, to like, you know, see those, the, the show, but also like get kind of a rundown on how they used to use the wetlands to their yeah. advantage yeah. or like read the trees for flood, flood depth and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how they used to make their, their flatbreads and, you know, just kind of getting a, getting a perspective of the culture without like interrupting or, yeah. intruding, you know, yeah. there, there are certain places in South Africa where you could see the same with the uh, Khoisan people. So it is, it's, it, do you get a very touristy vibe when you were with them? Yes, but also not really. Cause you but it are was still, it was still pretty authentic. Yeah. 
it was yeah. it was very authentic in the fact that like the fire wasn't made with a lighter you know we, wow. we had to, like we had to wait until that that stick took and um what we were eating wasn't like cattle we were eating um gems book yeah is called oryx here in texas yeah, yeah. Oryx. and um you know like you didn't feel like you were subtracting anything from their from their experiences or their yeah. life you were just kind of there for the ride and yeah. someone was just explaining you know yeah it felt like if I would have if I would have called you home and then you were like, oh, what's this and what's that? And then yeah. I was just like, yeah, this is just Indian food. And like, this yeah. is just how yeah. I live, you know, that, that sounds really cool, although and I would love to experience that. And if that is all I get from my yeah, my experience with the with the original tribe, that's fine. But like to me, like I want to be going down the Amazon and just see like a tribe like in the woods. Yeah. Like, wow. Like uncontacted just be so cool man be so it would cool. be there's a lot to learn from from people that are yeah maybe not as removed from nature and i know i keep yeah. saying that but like really our i believe that our society right now is just kind of too far removed and we see ourselves as as separate entities whereas like nature's one thing and then yeah. people are another and i really want to want to get like people to make that connection <laughs> you're part of this system man like there's no yeah. way you're we're all where it's all connected yeah like they're like screw capitalism and screw school and societal norms like those systems you can and cannot be part of like you can choose to remove yourself yeah. from that to some degree you can't remove yourself from like our biogeochemical system like you just can't yeah. do that yeah. you know you're, you're part whatever of whatever is going on in modern society we're, we're still influenced yeah. by the natural world whether we like it or not um, that's something that like a lot of people don't see yeah it's very true um yeah. what are you up to uh so you you eventually so you went to uh, south africa yeah and then you went to angola and, and then, then to texas houston then yeah to the great state of texas houston texas yep and uh so you've been here for how long uh five years now five years i came here freshman year of high school and now I'm a sophomore in college. So yeah, more than five, a little bit more than five. So you, you're the fish guy. Did you yeah. really start fishing when you came here? No, that was no I've been before. fishing since I was like six. Since when we okay. moved to Dubai, that's when it kind of like clicked. Oh, so dang. Yeah. Does your life list include all those species from all those other countries? Not really, no. Oh man, that sucks. I'm sure it you does. Know. It does, but that's the thing. I don't. I don't have good enough pictures to like oh, I take the heuristics off of it and like really like narrow it down. Because because it was just like a kid holding yeah. a fish, and for, those, for my parents, it was just like, oh yeah, let's take a good blurry picture and you know like leave for, it at that. For the people listening, uh, you're you're not just a fisherman. You're a, a fish life lister. You're a fish diversity yeah. fanatic. Yeah. So I bring that up. You know, it's like. I've always been a herper and like herpers and birders have like lifeless. I've only just re realized I, and I fish, but fishing for me was like the traditional going like bass fish. I was a, I was a tournament bass fisherman in high school. Oh, wow. We had, we had high school bass fishing tournaments and like, you know, there's payouts and everything, just like a professional oh, cool. tournament. We had, we were sponsored yeah. and we had, you know, our jerseys. 
it was like very traditional fishing for very, very specific yeah very specific game fish like you know yeah. bass or like in saltwater it's redfish and flounder yeah. i did not know there were there were fish nerds like there are herp nerds yeah. and I, you are it's, the one that made me realize that <laughs> it's crazy our, cool. our our little like i actually met another fish life lister on campus he was like hey i recognize the campus that's in your stories are you at AM corpus and i was like mm-hmm. yeah and he goes cool could we meet up i'm also a fish life lister i've never met someone else in texas and i was like hell yeah and turns out that like they're from houston like right close to where i've been yeah the entire time and that's um, so cool man yeah we have a fishing club here too and really? it's it's crazy because like you were bringing up the bass tournaments i just fished a black drum tournament this morning really yeah that's cool and man everyone came back empty-handed but we we do a lot of like jackpot tournaments for like yeah. redfish black drum yeah. flounder and speckled trout but there's there's no like biodiversity fanatics here they're all like yeah. those are like the four That's, game fish and then they don't i'm surprised care. black drum are included in there because where i'm from black drum are, are a trash fish really yeah people don't like black drum <laughs> people like them here just people are very elitist about their fish around where i'm from it, it's either Largemouth bass, crappie, it's for freshwater, uh, largemouth bass, crappie, uh, run lines, run jug lines and trot lines for catfish. And that's pretty much it. In saltwater, it's uh, uh, redfish, flounder, trout, um, and then offshore, like, you know, red snap. I have a couple friends that run further out and they catch red snapper and stuff. But um, generally it's, you know, red, uh, redfish, flounder and trout. Those are the main three. And then yeah that's pretty much it that's the only included black drum because i I was pushing them to like put black drum up on our yeah also it was your idea it was that makes sense Um, we got to take a vote on it because everyone was like we're tired of catching redfish let's do something different yeah and uh the black drum are running right now right along the coast i follow this yeah i follow this guy he he's a he fly fishes for redfish oh yeah and he does this like every day and it's like super cool and i'm like Dude, you don't want diversity. Yeah, you want like different species. So repetitive. (laughs) I've I used to fish bass in high school, like freshman year, because my entire life, when I go up on YouTube, like even when I was little, you know, you'd see like bass fishing videos on YouTube, and that's kind of that was the fishing culture online. Yeah, and so when I moved to Houston, I was like, I know this. Like I've been watching bass fishing videos all the time. I went out my first day and like I just hammered them and I was like, this is easy. I hate they're it. They're really they're easy to catch. Well, yeah. I say they're easy Not, to catch, but fishing in a tournament, yeah, where you weigh in your best, your heaviest five fish. That's not easy. But like, for my life list, it would be easy. Like each of those tournaments would have about 300 to 400 boats in them. And some of these kids, they've been fishing this lake like since they were little little kids, you know. And, like it's clearly the people that don't know anything about fishing. Um, uh, fishing is not all about luck. <laughs> There's a lot. Of there are people that know a lot about fish behavior and ecology, and um, I mean, like even some of these kids that were really good, and they would get, they would be like in the top ten every tournament. Mm-hmm. They they know a lot about that species, largemouth bass, and Just that they're species. very good at catching them. You know. There's a lot of specialist anglers. They'll they'll know like one species like the back of their hand. Yeah. They'll call it too. And it's like 
yo flip it right under that log or like you're gonna yep. you're gonna see them right at this point and then well, you go there and you, you see know, them. knowing how the bass re react to different weather conditions at different times of the year or how they're like the shad spawn like how other fish are affecting the largemouth bass and what baits to throw and it's crazy um, it's, yeah. it's really impressive it i'm not as into bass fishing anymore i still you know i try to get out i have my best friend um is you know we that's what we do together is bass fish and we'll go up to talia ben or sam rayburn and oh, yeah. bass fish you know hope at least a couple times a year usually um but, you know, i'd rather go out and catch diverse i'd rather go catch a darters now that's yeah i mean that's more interesting but I, I do love bass fishing but fish diversity as uh since i've been following you has been you know <laughs> on my radar more because I, I i'm a biodiversity fanatic and i also love yeah. fishing so i'm like why have i how have i missed this this fish life listing it's super cool it, it's it's crazy and and you gotta take into account that like fish are the most diverse vertebrates Thirty thousand species right yeah yeah, that's insane. Thirty thousand in the ocean. It's it's crazy. Mostly We've in the got, ocean, right? No, that's that's the entire world. I mean, like, but like most of that diversity is in the ocean, like saltwater species. Yes, most of that. Well, here's the thing. Say. It's it's like forty five percent of the diversity is in freshwater, <laughs> but only one percent of the world is freshwater. So you're really so it's a very diverse environment. The freshwater. Yeah or the freshwater fish community is very diverse. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's like you take 30,000 people in a football stadium, right? And you tell 15,000 of those people that they got to fit, fit in in one row. And then the rest of those guys are able to disperse right around. anywhere. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good analogy. It makes and sense. Yeah. It's like that 1% that's freshwater is already threatened by so many things. You know, you yeah. got pollutants, you got wetlands being lost. You got all this like agriculture pressure that's going on. So we're losing freshwater diversity, but no one ever talks about it. Like it's, it's never something that you focus on. Yeah. That's, I thought about that because I've, I've heard that freshwater fish, because like at A&M, like that's yeah. a Dr. Perkins and yeah, he's, like he's the man are paying attention to these, these things. And, um, but it, like it's it's always been weird for me because you know I, I explore I explore streams and bayous and rivers all the time and I'm like well they're they are very small like habitats yeah. but they're all full of fish it seems like and they're so full of different like, kinds of fish it's hard to like you know understand um, the the freshwater fish decline because yeah. it seems like there's plenty of streams with plenty of fish and but it's it's complicated it is it's really hard to like yeah. put, put the words in a way that the populate like the general populace could yeah. understand and like yeah. comprehend it. that's why i kind of like like that football field analogy yeah like you've got just that one row yeah on the football field where you can squeeze fifteen thousand people and then well, you, the rest are, like you got the entire stadium like the stands yeah. are free game too you know just for future reference you, you if you got a good analogy skills, you better bring that to the table more because I suck at analogies. <laughs> They're very useful. They're very useful sometimes. They are. Yeah. I just I suck at them. If I try to if I try to if I know one and I try to articulate it, I, I just fuck it all up. <laughs> but yeah, what was I gonna say? Yeah. 
freshwater life listing. You got to get into yeah. it. Yeah. Man, I had something, I had something I needed to say. I forgot. <laughs> got off topic. That's cool, man. Um, yeah, we need to get out and, and I want to, I want to photograph some of these darters in East Texas and that area you were telling me about in these. Yeah. These, East uh, Texas don't, got a lot. don't tell me what they're called. Don't tell me what they're called. These ponds, uh, dome swamps, dome yes. swamps. Yeah. I've, I've known, I've, I know them as something else. I've never known them as a dome swamp. I feel like that's like a, a fish, a fish guy thing. Yeah, maybe not. The dome know. swamp is really a fish guy thing. You're, as you're a, as a like, generally colleges, I would call that just a an oxbow or a. Uh, or those, they're different than an oxbow. They're different. Yeah, they're different. I'll call them flatwoods. There are flatwoods ponds out there that are just these ponds that are in uplands or like yeah. near a stream or. Well, dome swamps. There, there's this like really cool environment where you've got you've got wetlands like grasslands that are that are wet for. Yeah some parts of the year and then you'll see cypress trees in the in the middle of them kind of that's creating a, that's a, a flatwoods pond i think what i think what i know as a flatwoods pond gotcha okay so that might be the word it, may, it may be different I've, i don't know i've only always known it as a dome swamp dome or swamp. like a cypress pond i need to just look into dome swamps i got put onto dome swamps by some of the guys that are fish life listening in florida mm-hmm. so maybe it's a more of a florida yeah ecological term that we don't but it here. goes all along the the gulf but, coast yeah it, it's here but maybe it's not a maybe it's more of a like a colloquial term there and we call it something else here maybe but yeah. it's just those like cypress trees that are that are protecting that that body of water and you'll yep. see like, the cypress needs coming right up into the middle of the swamp but it has some connection to a perennial stream yeah yeah Usually it has a connection to a stream or it's just, it's one of those, what do you call it? I'm, I'm thinking really hard. You know where the salamanders and newts always spawn? Uh, the ephemeral. The, ephemeral ponds, yes. Yeah, ephemeral it, It's, it's kind of like the wetlands around them are ephemeral, but. There's a, the there's a perennial aspect to it. Yeah. Because like, the fish can't live in an ephemeral pond. That's the whole. The whole yeah. reason salamanders use ephemeral ponds is because there's no fish predators to eat the larva. And that's why those grasslands, they're ephemeral, and you'll find a lot of annual diversity there. But as you move closer into like the dome itself, where the cypress trees are kind of going into like that deep pocket of water, you'll find like bowfins and gars okay, and yeah. even like chain pickerel. You'll find a whole yeah. bunch of like your sunfish, so your centrarchids, and then... yeah there's like crazy diversity in them and there's crazy specialization going on in there too for fish that are like just thriving in low oxygen tannic waters yeah yeah both like bowfin I like bowfin yeah oh god i love bowfin so much it's a cool fish the, never forget the, the first one i ever caught you know what a juggling is yeah i'm sure for for yeah. fish for fish uh diversity fanatics juggalines are just like awful no i love them yeah. It, it puts a lot of food. In they place. they have to be used responsibly. I will yeah. say, um, I've literally saved alligator one alligator snapping turtle off of one, yeah. And I like they die on them all. Anyway, I was when I was a kid, I, I loved running jug lines, and I had a a ditch um, running by my house. There was one pocket that was like four feet deep. Most of it's like a foot deep. There's like I would catch bass in there every now and then. I'll catch like a three pound bass, and yeah. it looked huge in that little body of water. You know, it was like the coolest mm-hmm. thing. Anyway. 
I, I threw a jug line in that this deep pocket and I, I put a uh, cut bluegill on there. Came back the next day, and there was both a in on it. I was yeah. like, I didn't know what the hell it was. You were catching like maybe like 12 years old, and I, I went, yeah, I went and showed my, my grandpa, and he called it a grinnel. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's just a trash fish. Throw it out. <laughs> I was like, what? This thing is cool. Yeah. <laughs> They're not it. good eating. I've uh, heard. They don't, yeah. I wouldn't even care to eat one because, like, I mean, not to be, yeah, not to be unfair to the game, like, but I do have a pre, like, some species I, I just prefer to enjoy without harvesting them. Yeah. With, you know fish or you know even birds like i love i mean i'll harvest wood ducks but i almost prefer to just watch them than harvest them you know just yeah um, that that's, tastes really that's good very so common, I do. Isn't it? like for a lot of the bass guys they won't harvest bass at all because like, they have a they have a special connection with bass in particular for them, right yeah. and then there's me who's like all fish are trash fish <laughs> and like my definition of a game fish is just like what's cool like yeah who's got the adaptations to make them cool, you know? And so yes. like, I personally don't harvest gar. I haven't oh, yet. We, we haven't got to gar yet. This is going to be very, a very important part of this conversation for you. Oh, for sure. So I'll save that for later, but you yeah. know, um, I started harvesting bass about a year ago and I haven't looked back, you know, like yeah. a good two pounder, two and a half pounder that fries up so nice. I don't Did you harvest a, a five plus pounder. No. That's a, that's a, that's like a, I mean, how, how old is that fish? A five pound fish is pretty dang old. It's old, right? I'm, I'm not good with like, but it's old. I, know for, I know for smallmouth bass, a five pounder is like six to 11 years old. Yeah. That's way too old to harvest. Yeah. There's, I there's harvest. no, to me, there's no justification, like take away like the, the sport bass fishing aspect of it. Like sports, like people that love bass fishing, they don't harvest over five pounds. Cause they, you know, they just, yeah. like a big like a big lunker they want to release and catch later or whatever Even, yeah. like that's important but also like it, when a species takes that long to get that big and like all the biological energy that went into that and for the for then you to just like kill it for, yeah. I mean, and it's not like we're we like to harvest game to, to eat it but it's not like we're gonna die if we don't i think exactly. we have a, a like a, an ethical obligation to release Old, like old like alligator like an alligator gar that's six seven feet that's an old growth animal you, you should never oh, harvest a 30 year old fish that's just oh, six nice. seven footers pretty freaking old yeah yeah i mean that, and they get harvested all the time it's so bad um, yeah <laughs> oh luckily i mean it's um it's like right it's, in the right in the sweet spot it's i i've harvested alligator gar but like small for sure. three to four footers um, I would harvest a four footer. You they know? eat really well. I don't know how old they are. They're probably still old. Four footers are still pretty old. So uh, alligator gar in their first year, this, I think this was like my second last or my last post on Instagram actually. Mm -hmm. But um, I was talking about alligator gar and uh, their growth rate in the first year is phenomenal. You know, they'll start off as like these tiny little eggs yeah. and gar eggs are so, so small compared to like, your salmon row or your caviar that you see, you know, they're not extremely tiny, but they are still pretty small. And they're toxic. And they're right. toxic to mammals yeah. and birds, but they're not toxic to other fish. Okay. Before I forget, I just gotta, yeah. I'm gonna let you continue. You know, uh -huh. Deep in the Heart, that documentary, uh, um, yeah. I was kind of like 
I have nothing like no like my only involvement is like helping them catch critters. I, I don't claim right. any like real involvement with it. <laughs> anyway, um, just a little spoiler. They they have a whole scene of alligator gar breeding. Like oh, we yeah. have footage of them underwater spawning behavior and it's really cool. You're gonna love it. It's like a so big part. Cool. Like these That's, females, like in this shallow, flooded, like the river the came up and like you're gonna like, you're gonna love it, man. It's cool. It's a really freak. It does them a lot of justice. I think people that the are first bar spawn for 2021 was on my 19th birthday. The first spawn in oh, our wow. country. So I'd gone home for my birthday and my friend was like, hey, yo, let's go gar fishing, right? Here's the thing. Once, once it's like springtime, right? Like prime, you know, you're just starting to feel the heat of spring. And we get the first or second like spring showers that brings the water level up. Yeah. Those gar will go into that riparian vegetation and just yep. start spawning like crazy. And you'll see like one big female. She's about like, depending on the species, she's going to be like four to six, eight, however big she is feet long and then you're going to see these like five or six smaller males follow her up into the tiny right little males yeah they're small like those guys the are inferior like, males they're <laughs> yeah they're inferior they're cute but they're inferior right yeah and they'll and they'll go up and then they'll just kind of like bump her into in the sides and she'll just kind of get the hint start releasing those eggs in the gar and the males will like fertilize them right they'll fertilize top. them so I don't, I don't know anything about the life history of the and, alligator gar yeah. or any gar so they the female deposits the eggs onto the riparian vegetation and then the, the males come in kind of like uh, how some of the ambistomatid salamanders um like the female will lay the eggs and then the males yeah it's well, all no, external I'm, fertilization i gotta i gotta i gotta i gotta correct myself the the males deposit a spermatophore for i'm talking about salamanders i gotta make yeah. sure i because okay. I, I just said something totally wrong oh okay um, the, the males right. deposit a spermatophore and then the female, the male um, then tries to convince, like, like impress her and the female then picks up the spermatophore and that fertilizes the eggs. That's how it is. Back to the gar. Well, yeah, <laughs> so I have no idea what's happening. with we're recording, I, I got to make sure I, you know, I say something yeah. wrong. I'll just go back and correct myself. So I don't want to, I don't want to be a total bullshitter it's here. It's um, external fertilization except for live bearers. But what happens is like she'll lay the eggs on this bed of riparian vegetation. And usually it's like alternanthra or we're looking at, um, well, especially where I'm like looking for these gar, it's all, almost always alternanthra, philorexoides. So it's alligator weed. Alternative flora. That's what I know it is. Wait, wait. Alligator weed. Alternanthra philorexoides. Alligator weed. I don't know it. Never mind. It's... It, You've seen it. You've definitely. I know. I've probably seen it. It just, yeah, yeah I've missed it. And so they'll come up and they'll just kind of like deposit. I'm gonna look their it egg. up right now. It's gonna bug me. And for like the first nine to ten days, nine to eleven days, the eggs are super, super sticky. And okay. that continues even when the larval fishes develop. The yolk stack is still kind of sticky. So the larvae. Oh, that's, that's a very plant. prolific plant. Yeah. yeah, I see it all over the place. I don't know how I haven't I added that one yet. <laughs> especially because it's an like alligator i'm an alligator like i miss this one <laughs> yeah you, but you can, you can th those fish like they'll those eggs are real sticky and and the, and the larval fish will like stick to all the leaves <laughs> and 
since it's right after those rains and they're in the floodplain, they're not actually spawning in the mainstream. Um, the eggs are more exposed to like birds and yeah. mammal predation. And so yes. the, the, the toxin is called an ichthyotoxin. Ichthyo just meaning fish. And fish yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> mammals and birds can't digest it, but other fish can go crazy. Like, oh, wow. they don't get affected at all. It's weird that the, the selective pressure for that accounted for well makes sense because they're in the riparian zone not in the because like you would think it would select for fish uh anti-predation but it's instead it's mammals and birds because it's closer to the land their habitat yeah yeah you'll see like spoonbill kind of feeding in the same areas yeah and like cattle egret you'll see raccoons even go up and so all all alligator gar have the toxin yeah. I mean, all, all gar species. My bad. I know for sure alligator gar do. I don't think anyone's been bold enough to like try any other gar caviar. Oh. It just, it's not a thing. And I'm pretty sure that other gars do too. Can you go over um, why the the gar fan, like Lepi Sostiede? Yeah. Yeah. Why they're Lepi unique. Sostiede. Like, why, if you're from, especially North America, why you should like them? You should love them. You should care for them with all your heart. Yeah. And not just Lepiosaceae, but Amiidae too, which is the bowfins. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because Lepiosaceae and uh, Lepiosaceaeforms, they 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 kind of diverged very early. Like they were their yeah. own fish. They were their own clade when dinosaurs were a thing. Yeah. So th- there's like gars and ankylosaurs, like. They, they existed at the same time. That's and really cool. You, 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 can't, you can't get over the fact that, like, there were, there were gar yeah. when there were dinosaurs, and they're still here. They're still doing their thing. They haven't changed like, at all. a T-Rex walks down to the water. An alligator and comes up and gulps the air. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, there has definitely got to be a scene in history when something like that happened, you yeah. know? Yeah, because we're finding gar fossils like all over like there's there's been gar fossils found in the middle east there's really? been gar fossils found so in I was, I was gonna north say america's that last stronghold for them like you gotta keep the, them for like lepisostidae um extent lepisostidae are only found in north america like, north they are unique north to north america, america. yeah so they're found in north and central america or central but like central like you just included in north america they're yeah. not found anywhere else in the world like gar no. are unique to this the, part of the world yeah yeah so they'll range from um well not even north and central just north america because they'll they'll range yeah. into mexico but not but, past but in the rio Grande, in the rio Grande watershed oh yeah further down like further into down? Like okay mexico oh like proper deep in there yeah like they'll be in central mexico that makes sense like we, we share a lot of the same fauna like a we do mexico. Like the like rattlesnakes and even there's more rattlesnake diversity in Mexico than here. I think, yeah. I think Mexico is actually like the center of like rattlesnake, like their origins are there. Like the dis- center of dispersal for rattlesnakes is Mexico. It seems that way anyway. That's crazy. That's, there's so many species. There's like 40 something species there. I don't know. Rattlesnakes is like an American thing, but yeah, I'm fairly certain. I think there's probably got to be some literature on the evolution of rattlesnakes that um, explores that, but there's got to be. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so like we, yeah, we think like Mexico is a different Canada to Mexico. So all throughout, 
Yeah. And um, the common misconception is that GAR are invasive to certain parts of the United States. Mm-hmm. That's not true. We haven't found invasive GAR populations to be anywhere in North America. Like, Interesting. We, we're actually seeing the range shrink instead of them being invasive in any other spots. But, you know, the people that are like trying to protect their bass honey holes saying that like, Oh, the gar are invasive and we need to call them or whatever because they predate on bass. Here's the thing. Um, Bass are more invasive in North America than gar. Well, they've been like, they're they're such a popular sport fish. State agencies, they they have to manage for them to to increase like their revenue. (laughs) Well, it's not even that. They've they've been introduced into states like Montana Cal- and Wyoming. California. California. They're California not has the biggest there. bass, has the biggest bass like records in the states. And they're not it's even not native there. That way. It really is. Right? Yeah. Where where are largemouth bass originally? Are they just in the southeast? The Mississippi River Basin. Okay. So everything that drains. That's yeah. a big watershed. That's a big watershed, but like, like half the US. <laughs> Yeah, but nothing west of it, you know, like. Yeah, but it is only it is that is how like in the liter like in the natural history yeah. literature, it's the Mississippi uh, watershed. That's the largemouth bass range. Yep, that's interesting. I yeah, mean, I that's that's that. the main bass range. There is more like you know you you see the bass in Florida as well, like on the, the Florida. like southeast United States. But yeah. you know that's largemouth bass, yeah. particularly they just they're horrible. When it comes to by no by no fault of theirs, but like yeah, it's the management around them. You know what I find interesting is I go to the I mean I grew up going to these big reservoirs, Toledo Bend and Sam Rayburn. Have you heard of either of the either of those? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're like a big they're a big deal. That's where our, all of our tournaments in high school were on Sam Rayburn. It's a heavily pressured lake. That's the bass there. They're tough to catch in the popular spots, but when I'm out there, you know, fishing for largemouth. I look around and you see all these stumps, you know, this reservoir flooded a once massive bottomland forest and then with, you know, with the construction of a dam and then, you know, the state comes in and they stock all of these, you know, bass that were, you know, produced in a, in a fisheries uh, operation. And, and then you go out there and you're fishing for them and you like, they're so, uh, strictly managed you can only keep five and yeah like it's a big deal if you break you know if you keep more than your limit and i'm like we're i'm fishing in a uh an a ecosystem that like yeah. was destroyed <laughs> like <laughs> fishing in an impoundment and like i have a, i do have a special connection to these lakes because like i still like I, you know i grew up going to these places and like i've caught massive catfish on jug lines and like uh, just yeah. When I was a kid, it was a it was a wilderness. But now that I know about you know the history of East Texas and these reservoirs, it it kind of it kind of uh, it didn't ruin it for me. But you know, I think about it a little different. It's just strange that we like create an ecosystem and we place these fish there. You know, they stock all these bass, and then like yeah. they're more protected than na- like native and ecosystems. Native and it's yeah. stupid. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous to me. And I get it because. Yeah. Here's the thing, Parks and Wildlife gets all their money from it. It's, and a, it's, a, it's all driven by money. And that's yeah. that is a legitimate, a legitimate concern. Um, it is. And yeah. like 
if, if people were able to understand certain ecological concepts in a little bit more depth than they have been, they yeah. would be able to grasp these concepts and be like, okay, maybe this is not the right way to manage it. We can yeah. find other ways to fund yeah. to protect these areas, you know? Well, to be clear, there's nothing, I mean, these lakes are always going to be here. And yeah, I think it's totally cool that they keep stocking with bass and that they manage them the way they do because it does bring a lot of money. And, oh, yeah. and it, I mean, I still enjoy, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I, I love bass fishing. It's just, I just have this weird experience of being a naturalist and an East yeah. Texan. Yeah you know, Southeast Texan redneck. Yeah. If, you know, like I grew up with this stuff and then I'm like, and then I become, you know, more aware of what's actually going on. I'm like, here I am well, out here fishing. Kind of in a, yeah. Like this is, you know, what was once a bottomland forest that supported black bear and like ducks and stuff. And, and yeah. like, if I keep this one, one too many fish, that's not even supposed to be here. I'm going to like get a ticket in, yeah. that, in this ecosystem that doesn't even, it's not even natural at all. Right. <laughs> you know? And like the bass management, um, I've just been, I've been following a lot of like people that do a lot of pond management. Yeah. Because I enjoy was, those people. I, I follow this one dude. He, he knows a lot about fisheries biology. I think biology. I know what you're talking about. The, uh, he's, he's Georgia based. Yeah. It's probably gonna be the same guy. Yeah. He knows and his shit. He knows his shit. He knows his shit. But like you see them and you're like, well, the regulations on bass are like what fourteen inches and above, right? Actually, yeah, something like that. I can't remember. Something like that, but it depends on the lake. Every lake is different, too. It really does depend on the lake. But in private waters, if you're trying to grow like big bass, you're really trying to call out the smaller guys. So yes. you want to keep like under fourteen and over eighteens, yeah. so you get like the good, the good genes. From- but those, those small ponds, they're such a cl- small, closed system. I don't like they're under a different those are like the management is going to be different for a pond yeah. than it is for a lake a lake can has like more to it room yeah there's just the bigger the space the harder it is to manage yeah like when that I've, that when i see that guy's videos talking about how you gotta you know manage Drain. the bluegill a certain way yeah. you gotta manage the small bass a certain way all this stuff i'm like i just I highly doubt that's relevant on a you know a hundred thousand acre lake yeah you know whatever uh more natural system that's for sure but I love, like uh, i want to do more river bass fishing dude and with river native, bass throw pure down native, pure native bass texas bass they're hard to find stock. really hard to find yeah it's because just, a lot of the fisheries guys even like you talk to parks and wildlife you talk to like the guys working at any like fish research lab you talk to guys at the hatcheries no one's going to be able to tell you like pure guads pure guadalupe bass from like our spotted bass or our really yeah because our gene pool got absolutely destroyed for the state fish which is the guad bass right yeah yeah and the guadalupe bass was like just chilling in its home range on the edwards plateau and people were like let's stock some spotted bass in there too Oh, spotted bass were introduced. Yeah. Dude, that you just ruined it for me. That that jacks me up. It sucked. It really freaking sucked. I caught a, I caught a bass in the Frio River, um, southern southern Edwards Plateau. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Kim, this, is, like this is a Guadalupe bass, but it I've caught a lot of spotted bass on those reservoirs. And mm-hmm. it, it it struck me as a spotted bass, but I was like, but I'm in the Edwards Plateau. This is a this is a this Texas Not state a fish. Dude. 
it's but yeah, we had we had this heated debate of like how you're gonna differentiate between like a guad and a spotted rake. And yeah. one of the things is Guadalupe bass. I feel their like, tongue. If the spotted bass yeah. has a has a sandpapery tongue, that's how I yeah. identify them. Well, they've got the the spotted bass have that tongue patch. Guads, I believe, have two, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. The heuristic I usually go by is that um Guadalupe bass, they, they've got that like kind of distinct like dark green back light green and then the bottom half is like wider and um they've got like three distinct kind of ranges of color where it Mm. goes from dark green light green with a lateral stripe and then the lighter belly and the belly's got the spots on it right yeah whereas spotted bass have that like dark green back and light green belt light light that's different for me though the spotted bass I caught, they had high contrast from above the lateral stripe to below. It was always super dark on top, yeah, really white below. Clean, very clean looking fish. So they've they got that a smaller, a smaller mouth than a large mouth. But both guads and uh, spotted do small mouth. Yeah, and and this it seems like the spotted bass I caught had reddish eyes. They can have them sometimes. Yes, like. And they're voracious. They hit anything. Yeah. Differentiating between spots and guads is it's tricky. And I I usually have to like pull up my reference photos for both the pure ones and then just go like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to assume when I catch bass, because I plan on doing that next year. Yeah. When I catch bass in the Edwards plateau, it's a freaking guad. (laughs) (laughs) You can just always send it over. You You can always send them over and, um, there's, there's you can pretty, still catch pure. There are still pure. There wads. are still pure guads. And Parks and Wildlife is actually uh, doing genetic testing on the on the parents. Yeah. And then they're breeding the 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 pure guads out and stocking them back in. So what we need to do this is a call for action. All yeah. The fish we need to go catch all the spotted bass and throw them on the bank, or eat them rather. <laughs> yeah eat the spotted bass they're good but to eat. You think they're so hard to differentiate you wouldn't know oh yeah i got you the pure from the hybrids okay the hybrids but like a pure spotted bass from a from a guad is easy yeah like i know a spotted bass when i see it if you if you can tell that it's a pure spotted bass eat it yeah just put that thing on on like some breadcrumbs and fry it like it's, yeah. it's so don't sleep on it <laughs> speaking of the of Maybe not the Edwards, but like west, west-ish, tech, central to west Texas. Yeah. Have you heard of the Devil's River? I have. It's my like dream kayak trip. I watched. Um, yeah, me too. There's this dude, you know, uh, the John B. Oh yeah, love John B. That dude's awesome. That's got to be a goal someday. Me and you to inter- interview John B. We got to We got to build our cloud up a little bit first. So he's. A oh, big we could, we could get him for sure. <laughs> you think so? You, do you know people that know him, or, or are you somehow? I do know people that know him? Actually. Connected to connected. Yeah. yeah. So the guy I went to high school with, his dad did the uh, did the tiling and flooring for John B's like company house. Interesting. So you're, you're right outside of the circle. You just uh, I'm like right outside. Yeah. I got to just be like, hey, so we're so going to get him on someday. I'd be real. That dude, he he he's a he seems like he, he has certain species he, he prefers to go for. But like I watched the how I discovered him is I saw his Australia trip 
Yeah. And fishing for all these different species and then going to the, like the Devil's River. I saw that like beautiful cinematography. And I love it. Like, yeah. And he's just like a chill, pretty chill dude. Um, so his, his Australian series, well, I actually, I used to watch a lot of John B's like bass fishing videos. Yeah. And um, he got involved with the Guggen Squad, which is like yeah, yeah. all the bass guys, right? Yeah. And then I kind of stopped watching them because I was doing my own little multi-species thing and that just kind of yeah. wasn't entertaining to me anymore. But I was watching these Australian YouTubers, uh, morning tide fishing. So it was like Cavi and um, like Briggsy and Brooks. These are yeah. three guys. They go fishing off the rocks for the giant trevallis in Australia. And then they'll do like multi-species rock fishing and stuff. And yes. so when they did that collaboration, I was like, yes, we need that like representation from the bass community to like see that there's more yep. to it yep. than just bass fishing. Yep. Yeah. Bass are so so interesting because they're they're this like almost keystone species for us. Yeah. In the fish world, especially yeah. in North America. You know that I learned recently. Um I mentioned this on that last podcast I went on. Um in Florida, they they're like they care the Florida Wildlife Commission seems to care more about peacock bass than yeah. largemouth. They do. They're they have more restrictive management on peacock than than largemouth it's crazy they're not even native yeah they're not they're stocked but here's the deal fwc is has made peacock bass to be something that's like there to control their other invasives right oh interesting so what happened is florida got like overrun by um by invasive cyclids from all cichlids, over the yeah cyclids yeah, peacock bass are in the cichlid family yeah Yes, they're not true basses. So yeah, yeah, but it's so word, strange to me. They look more like a, a bass. The word bass is weird because you've got like sea bass, but not even close to a largemouth bass. They're not even close. Yeah, it's just the mouth structure on those fish all on look similar. Fish that pr are preying on a lot of top stuff on top or closer to the top of the water or just predatory in general. Just predatory fish in general that don't have that, teeth. Yeah. Big and mouse. they're not they're not uh ambush predators they're they're, they're gonna have the same kind of like mouth structure I gotcha because you, you do see that morphology in, yeah. in different families well the difference between uh so centrarchidae is the sunfish in which bass fall under yeah and cichlidae is that would cichlidae. surprise a lot of people i'm sure yeah so bass are just a big bluegill like if yeah. you tell people that it pisses them off, but they are like you, you, you'll see the intermediate forms like, you know, warm mouth and green sunfish that yeah have the bigger mouth kind of like a bass. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Like green sunfish are the in-between of like a blue yeah. and bass. Freaking love green sunfish. The same size. Dude, speaking of green sunfish, fishing on Salida Bend, we're fishing the spawn. Like me and my dad and my best friend <laughs> were fishing six, seven years ago. And my dad caught a green sunfish that was like 12 inches. It was huge, yeah. huge, like the most beautiful, like I want to catch a, I always catch little dinky ones, you know, like four or five yeah. inches. I want to catch I, I got a pond in Houston, in, uh, in Katy area, in like Katy Fulcher, where I could catch big greens, big mamas, like eight, nine inches at least. Yeah. And we do it on the fly. We do it on like a fly rod. Yeah. So those guys put down like a huge fight just for being for being cool. sunfish. Yeah. I would love to catch a big warmouth too. I don't know how big they get, but 
Another impressive fish. I used to catch them all the time. I know that warmouth gets like the biggest I've seen personally is 9.8 inches. That's pretty big. Yeah. It's pretty big. They're you get those around West Houston? Those are mainly greens. Greens. I've never uh, I rarely ever seen warmouth and greens together. We do get warmouth and warmouth and greens hybridized too. Do they really? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they so I I don't know if the reason I wasn't I never caught them in the same areas was because they filled a similar niche and they it was like a ecological exclusion or whatever well, I can't remember what you call that. It's weird because warmouth just in Texas in general, warmouth like to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna yeah, it's hard to catch warmouth in Texas, especially yeah. in our area, you know. Makes sense. I, I caught a bunch when I was a kid though. I still haven't yeah, caught ditches. my life yet. Really? I got yeah. the spots. I got the spots for you. I got I got a pond back like my pond on my property back home has. I've sampled them. Like I've I've dip netted them. I've cast right. netted them. I've seen. You don't count those. I don't. My lifeless is purely hook and line. Hook and line only. Or, huh? Interesting. But I, I have caught like loaches, which are these like long, slender fish that feed on. Can't algae. catch those on hook and hook and line. I caught one on a piece of hair algae that was just kind of tied to the end of my line, and I just mm. dragged it up. And then kind of netted it with my palm mm-hmm. and count it because like it was attempted ingestion. Yeah. So it's like, as long as you can get the fish to eat and come up to you, that yeah. kind of. Counts. What about I can get you on lamprey, but you can only catch them by net. I wouldn't count lamprey. No. Unless you like live lined a fish and then intentionally put it in the spot where the lamprey was like biting on. I mean, I would love to go sample lamprey. Like, okay, good. Uh, that's where I was getting at. That. They're fun yeah. to catch either way. I, I'll put I, them on go, my neck and just like, yeah. I have these, there's these streams. They have to be like uh, spring fed, clear, sandy, high oxygen, uh, high dissolved oxygen. And you dip net these big leaf packs that form in eddies and stuff. And you just get, you, like, you'll scoop up like 20 sometimes yeah. out of that detritus. And you just like, you dump it all on the ground and then they're, they're just squirming all over the place. And they're like the, the larval form. They too. I think they're the larval form. I think they yeah they they move out to bigger streams and rivers and um, later on in their life cycle. Will develop in the detritus, so they'll they'll live in the sediment. And they're like detritivores. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're they like, and then, but then they migrate. They migrate to the a deeper stream and become yeah. a proper lamprey. <laughs> the big boys. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen a, an adult. We have the Southern Brook lamprey. I don't even know what the adults look like, honestly. I'll look right now. Yeah, look it up. They're cool. I, I always find them when I'm looking for these uh, these aquatic salamanders called uh, Nectaris Bayeri, the Gulf Coast water dog. You know, I haven't like found they, a salamander yet. Uh, not as a much single kite? Like, nope. As much as I like. a siren or a. Nope. Dang, man. Not a, size, not a not an amphiuma, like nothing. I haven't seen anything. No salamander. My experience is just anurins and water snakes. That's it. We gotta change that. Well, yes, please. Like I'm. I feel like okay. Is is it fair for me to talk about our when we plan to meet up? Yeah, man. Yeah, we talk about anything here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was I mean, just like, I don't know if that's something that you don't. People may listen. may or may not listen to it. Um, but it doesn't matter (laughs) when we do go out in december i had this like crazy dream i was like because i had this dream where we were duck hunting 
And then we just kind of started looking around for things. And we saw like hogs and deer and and all kinds of shit. And then we were we were finding amphibians and like you pulled out a three totes like amphibian. It was just, yeah. a three toed amphibian would be would be strange for where we're going duck hunting. Yeah, I know, but like it was a dream, you know. So you, I'm just you gotta take that into account. Yeah. Well, I got I got it I got it on my calendar officially. We got we're gonna make it happen. I have it too. Cast, I cast and blast with no boat, all walk in hunting and wade fishing. Dude, we're gonna we're gonna show people life. that you don't have to have a lot of resources to be a very successful hunter and fisherman. I don't have any resources, dude. Like I don't know if you can see, but I've got two, three fishing rods in in my room right now. Yeah, but you kill it. And one of them is a fly rod. So I you barely... got you got a you got a big a bigger setup. Yeah. So I got I got an eight footer. Yeah. I got an eight foot medium, which is yeah. what I catch my big fish on. Yeah. I got a seven foot ultralight. Oh, you gotta have an ultralight. And then I got a fly fishing rod, and that's it. Yep. That's all I use. Yeah. And then I have like an ice fishing rod for packing in yeah. like smaller spots, but you know. Yeah. Other than that, you just I don't I don't buy bait. Yeah. I don't have like a net. You use a cast boat. net? Yeah, I just use a cast net or I, I not, that was like my favorite thing to do when I was a kid was go and cast net because you so just catch all kinds of stuff. Crazy. I would just I would cast it all day long, dude. Going through the ditches, casting. One That's... summer, I was. It took me the whole summer to do it. I was trying to catch a soft shell turtle with my cast net. <laughs> so they would pop up in that little the same ditch where I caught the bow fin. I'm gonna take you to that ditch someday because I have a lot of good memories there, and there's a lot I of. Think, I think there. every kid needs a ditch. Dude, I have have a good do. ditch, a nice degraded ditch, you know, yeah. shitty, but there's wildlife there to be found. So my mom has crawfish, musk turtle uh snapping like common snapping turtle mm -hmm. soft shells and then we've got like two different types of neurodia yeah and then we've got like bowfin spotted gar rio grand cichlid bluegill green sunfish red ear sunfish we've got cr crappie tilapia largemouth buffalo smallmouth buffalo i don't know um, there's largemouth buffalo yeah those guys are pretty crazy i don't know anything about that family in fact Oh, Igtiobas is such a cool family, man. It is. It's. It's like I caught a smallmouth buffalo in Village Creek. That's that's my the one fish I've ever caught in Village Creek was a smallmouth buffalo. You're you're cool. you're lucky. You're like you're just lucky. Maybe it, that was a good catch. Yeah. Maybe it was a smallmouth. Catch on hook and line. You know, I was a kid. I, it was probably the common one. Who knows? Yeah, it was. But what I was gonna say back to the ditch. That same ditch. That's like a foot deep where I catch bowfin or that one bowfin. I end up catching like one or two more. And, and I would go out there and you're going to hate me. I would go out there and um, I had a frog gig. I used to do a lot of frog gigging. My favorite activity gigging. was to go gar gigging. I made it up. Gar gigging. <laughs> I was spearfish it's not, for it's gar. not made up. It's a real sport. It's a real thing. Like people dude, do I it. Love, I would wade through that or I either wade or I'd put my canoe in there. And mm -hmm. dude, I was, I loved it. Using a four point spear. And yeah. I ate him. I ate the gar. As long as you eat Boy. them, there's nothing wrong with harvesting gar. Yeah, I mean, and, and spotted gar, you know, a dime a dozen. But alligator gar in some areas are a dime a dozen, you know, and like concentrated yeah. areas. But anyhow, but that ditch, that ditch, um, when we'd get a heavy rain, it would mm -hmm. come up like 10 feet of water. Yeah. And it, it drains directly into Taylor's Bayou. And when Taylor's Bayou was up, like the yeah. bass in there, they, they just couldn't hang out in that, that current. So they would come up into the ditch that was by my house 
and I'd go fish where a, a bridge went over and I would, I would, all I threw was a beetle spin. Yeah. And I would perfect. cast it by the columns under the bridge. One night, one time I caught like 20 something bass in, in like under 30 minutes. I would just, every, yeah. every single cast, so much fun. I got to do it. I want to do that again someday, like the same spot. Dude. And I would, I would, I would put him in a, a live, uh, like a, like, a like fish a cooler. Keeper, yeah. And I would run him down to my pond and, um, okay. throw him in my pond. I fucked up our pond. My, my uncle, he stocked it with like Florida strain bass, put a bunch of money into it. And I was, I kept throwing in like all these random fish. <laughs> anyway, That's the I, best. Like uh, if I was to manage my own pond, I would just throw in everything. I'd start from like the bottom, you know, like that you can have problems with that. Like if you talk to a pond management guy. If, if yeah, you, but that's because they're doing you can manage ponds for certain things. Oh, they're managing for big bass. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would, if yeah. I was to if I was to manage my own pond, it would you be just have a maximum to, we, we can make my pond uh our little project. It's still a my little, pond. Like, biodiversity project. Yeah. I, I got we've had a couple floods um over the, since that time up my uncle uh, stocked it so i don't even think most of the bass are even in there there are some bass still around but i've seen spotted gar in there i've oh, yeah. seen bowfin in there um i put a bunch of uh huge radiated sunfish in high school i caught uh we found this pond where these radiated sunfish were spawning and they were like massive oh, they were man. all they were black we had their breeding colors they're beautiful. Do they I get like radio. that forehead hump where oh, they've got like a notch on their well, eyebrow? Not like a bluegill. Not like a bluegill though. They're big, but they didn't have the the notch that you're talking about. But gotcha. I put a bunch of those in there. I put a bunch of big bluegill, crappie. Um, there's already some cool stuff in there. Also, I want to put some cool turtles in there. Some native turtles. All I got is sliders right now. You got it, a it's cool, a cool pond. Soup, gumbo. You know, you got it. Just yeah, man. If you yeah. didn't live in Corpus, I'd say get you out there like this weekend but (laughs) if i didn't if i didn't struggle with with saving up enough to get a car i would be like i would this podcast would happen face to face and not like over zoom yeah Yeah. that's all good though man well just it'll happen eventually you'll you'll get you'll get some wheels and and uh it'll be very good we'll start killing it yeah good things will come you're already i don't i've said this before i don't i don't know how you do all the stuff you do without without a car like (laughs) You make the most of the situation you're in. Just sheer people, fucking willpower, dude. It's people it's have awesome. people have more. There are people that have more resources than you that do far less with hunting and fishing and and, and wildlife stuff. Yeah, I mean, over over the summer, I met up with a with um, Dr. Matthew Berg. I met him I on Twitter. That is. Yeah, Where I met him from? on Twitter. He's from Houston. He lives in the fish, Tomball area. This guy um he's he's just the water guy he just does everything hydro he's he's done a lot of like flood work a lot of like pollutant work a lot of fish stuff yeah a lot of everything that involves water basically right and um we went seining in katie prairie wow man that's cool for what for for whatever we could find and we found um, there's really cool crawfish crayfish out there yeah we found we found some um some of the Louisiana swamp crayfish, you know, the red crayfish. Okay, yeah. There's there's but, way cooler uh, ones. Yeah. There's some that but, are green. I found a green one. A green crayfish. It took a while for INAT dudes to ID it. 
I know dudes require so much. They're like, you got to have the the legs and this and that. And it's like, we, you know, there's a whole subsection of INAT, which is just dedicated to rules on how to take crayfish pictures. No. Yeah. I went down that rabbit hole because I was trying to get better ID photos. For you say that. I think the this guy, I think his name was Dan Johnson. He's like the crayfish guy. I think he did yeah. mention my bad photos. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't capture the diagnostic traits. Yeah. There's, there's, there's people, there's, crayfish people out there that all will rip into you for not taking good fake photos it's funny plant plant people are kind of the same way i guess with like grasses with grasses you have to take you got to take the right shots no thanks them to be able to id if because like they don't always have you know seeds and inflorescences to look at yeah it's Plants are just a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> yeah, they're tough. Yeah. Man, we're, uh, we gotta be at least, we started at 7.30, right? Yeah. Seven, more like eight. We're about an hour, hour and a half in. It's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot that like still could. We've covered a lot, dude. We've talked about yeah. a lot. We've covered some cool stuff. We have. It went all over, but I'm glad we didn't have like that structured kind of yeah. Question going. yeah yeah and just for the people listening uh on is going to be um the co-host um on many of these episodes and so expect expect on to be around i'll, uh, I'll try my best <laughs> yeah man all right man till next time yeah i'll see you later then bud this is real fun i'm i'm looking forward to this podcast like me too being, this yeah, is the like, first official episode it went well i think i can't wait this to publish this exciting. one so. yeah <laughs> all right man, all right, man. See you. you take care. Good night. I'll see you soon. See you.